G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 127 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining in. Now, perceptions. Uh, what do you perceive your your thinking is with uh, with people that have been incarcerated and in jail like do you judge them do you do you, uh, do you quickly label them uh, for um, you know being um, I suppose a bit different than everyone else you know we, we're, we're very quick to judge in modern society I believe that's slowly starting to change um, it's about time because we need to uh, help people um, reintegrate into society with compassion and help people, you know, change their lives rather than keep uh, keep them in shame, fear and guilt, which is uh, a lot of what society likes to do <laughs> to us, uh, you know, in general, uh, particularly men when we, we do something wrong. So today I have uh, a, an unbelievable gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Lucas Carey on the phone with me. Now, Lucas um, was incarcerated himself. Uh, he's got a, a doctorate in... Uh, education, very, very clever man, but uh, also he's had the lived experience from the inside out to uh, to tell us what it's all about and, and he's seen firsthand, you know, uh, how people can change their lives because he's done it himself, but also being able to help, uh, you know, many others to do that too. And really, I guess, uh, you know, people just need to feel safe and supported and loved and cared for. That's all we really need as humans to be able to prosper. And if we can start to show that or give that rather than punish punishment and, you know, judgment, comparison, criticism, all that type of stuff, the lower levels of consciousness, which I always talk about, uh, we can start to see a shift in humanity and, and an empowerment in humanity, which is what's really needed rather than, you know, keeping people suppressed, I guess, at the end of the day. We've all got this thing in the middle of our bodies called a heart. And if we can start to come from that place more and more, then we're going to be able to be more supportive of ourselves, but supportive of others. So Lucas and I are going to talk pretty deeply about that today and uh, and go into um, the, uh, I suppose, the incarceration side of things, um, you know, fairly fairly heavily and how we think that may, uh, make, may change in the future and what we can do to... Uh, to, to facilitate those changes as individuals, but also to help empower and educate people like yourself listening out there on what you can do within your own community to be able to uh, you know change perceptions as well. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this chat. I really encourage you to share this with others that may have had experience of uh, incarceration or just anyone in general that you think uh, may find this uh, interesting. It's going to uh, um, you know be challenging and it's going to be a conversation which uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll shift your thinking uh, considerably. So I really hope you enjoy our chat. Just want to make special mention to our uh, primary partners that support the podcast. So Green Nutritionals that provide green organic superfoods. If you're lacking something in your diet, I really encourage you to check out their website. They make or they provide organic um, superfoods, which are the best uh, anywhere in the world, uh, sourced from the best places in the world. So please check them out, greennutritionals.com.au. Also, if you would uh, consider maybe employing someone from incarceration, uh, MacForce Australia uh, specialists and experts at uh, reintegration, so they help people from prison uh, to integrate back into society. And um, they've had uh, tremendous um, uh, success with that uh, throughout Australia. And uh, um, really, uh, I've seen uh, firsthand with, uh, with, with what they do and what they can actually provide as far as that uh, through care to be able to, to give individuals the chance to be successful once they get uh, back into society, but also, you know, settle into a job, 
sustainably and also give them tools to be able to uh, to manage their, their lives better so they're more conscious and self-aware and that's my real passion. So I really encourage you to check out their website if you're looking to, to hire someone or you're looking to, to get into work yourself. It's uh, macforce, M-A-C-F-O-R-C-E.com.au. Alrighty, appreciate you listening in. Hope you enjoy the chat. And as I mentioned, please uh, share this one with others. Welcome to the Outback Mind podcast, Lucas. Mate, thank you for having me, mate. I appreciate what you do and uh, all the great work you put in, mate. It's good to have a chat to you. Yeah, it's uh, amazing that uh, we've got to this stage of our lives and we're, we're, you know, pretty passionate about the same thing now. And, um, yeah, it's been a journey, I suppose, isn't it? But uh, I think we're at the start of a pretty amazing and fascinating journey because the time is right now to be able to uh, make some changes and um, you know what the work the work that you're doing is certainly at the forefront of that but uh, I guess the more people we can sort of make aware and, and help them uh, understand the importance of uh, reintegration and helping people that are less fortunate to uh, build a successful life for themselves then um, you know uh, the world's going to be a better place at the end of the day. Absolutely mate I mean you just you just nailed it on the head there mate is that there's a whole lot of people who don't have a voice and um, you know, I know in my world, I've been lucky enough to, to have been given, you know, the, the, the ability to speak well and I suppose have the ability to, to process some things well. And, and, I, and I just feel really privileged to, to be able to, to help some people that may have skills in other areas that might not necessarily be, you know, the ability to orate. And, 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 and I feel great to have that opportunity to help some people. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit about your own journey, like your upbringing and um, you know, your, your childhood and sort of how life um, has evolved for you, I suppose, as, uh, as a gentleman and all the things that you've sort of gone through, which I'm sure we'll touch on as we go. A gentleman? That's a loose, a loose <laughs> term this early in the morning, brother. But um, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I grew up in, um, I grew up in a place, for, for any of Victorian listeners, in a place called Dandenong, yep. um, which, uh, you know, which you look at the statistics of, um, you know, Victoria um, is that, a large part of um, a large part of the people that are incarcerated in Victoria come from, you know, Dandenong, Frankston, Cranbourne, that sort of area. Sure, um, I used to hang know, out there too. I know it pretty well. There you go, mate. There you go. So single single parent, you know, nothing nothing outlandish. You know, dad, uh, you know, lived in a sort of domestic violence sort of household, and you know, uh, misogynistic behaviour, alcoholism, this sort of stuff from from dad. He left, you know, when we were fairly young, and, and mum just worked hard to try and. Um, deal with her demons, but also to try and sort of get us alive. And when I was a, just a run-of-the-mill kid, I tried every sport. was 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 good at most things without being great at anything, um, and just sort of plugged along. But um, I think you know, looking back now, mate, is one of the things that that I always found is I didn't know I didn't know who I was, and I don't know whether that um, and that still probably haunts me still to this day. Is I still don't know who the true Lucas was at that point in time, and I think that sort of turn made into some desires, you know, throughout life to always be the, the funny guy or the loud guy or the guy that everyone likes. Yep. Um, and that was, that was for me sort of a, I look back now, a defining sort of realisation. But, um, yeah, growing up, went to, you know, normal, normal public school, was school captain, um, you know, was, was, coaching, um, was coaching basketball from a fairly young age, played at you know, a decent level, um, and then, yeah, worked, worked through as a teacher and educator. I was working in the city of Ballarat in, in Victoria and received some um, secret commissions while I was working there as a, as a middle-tier manager. Um, pleaded guilty to all charges and received a period of incarceration um, in 
Victoria, um, came out of Victoria or came out of prison and moved uh, to West Australia where my um, wife's family is and have been living over here for the last five years working in teaching and working as a uni lecturer and working with kids who need a bit of help. Unbelievable, mate. Um, I know the area very well. Uh, you've touched on Dandenong and I know Ballarat because I'm from Horsham just up the road. So, um, yeah, and uh, be interesting to see. You obviously got a bit of a holiday there. Whereabouts did you have your holiday? I had my uh, holiday courtesy of the Queen in Beechworth. Um, yep. So after, after you do the run, as anyone that's listening knows, you do your little... You know, you do a little start in the lockup and then you head to, you know, your, your max security guys or to the map and then max security. And then uh, I was lucky enough being first time in, being a white collar offender, I was able to uh, spend my time in uh, in Beechworth. So it wasn't by any stretch, it wasn't the most um, horrendous place to be at, but it was obviously still jail. Yeah, mate, an old bluestone one too at that from memory. So um, uh, certainly, uh, yeah, it's probably seen... Better days. Is that still uh, current? That prisoner or is it redundant? Did they build a new one out there. Build a new one, mate. They built a farm about uh, probably about two k's up the road. But they do the beach. The Beechworth prison now has got a uh, you know, tourist attraction. The old one that everyone goes through, and they've got bike rentals and all sorts of coffees and stuff in there. But um, yeah, the new farm's uh, a few k's down the road. I have a letter on my fridge that I'm looking at now that was written to me from a guy that was inside Beechworth prison. Um, uh, I'll just read you a little bit, a uh, little bit of that, mate. Actually, and this wasn't planned, um, but it just says I was mentally prepared going into prison and was able to control my anxiety even going into maximum security. I had no anxiety and felt my head was clear and in good space. For something that was normally uh, would have been a big deal for me and freaked me out. Thanks to you, the tools that you gave me helped me survive and thrive in this environment. There you go, and that's uh, that's still that's such... those voices. Yeah, what's that? But, um, that says lots about you, though, man, and then what you're doing, because that's a that's a person who has sent you something to say that you know that, that your voice helped them develop something that they didn't have, and you know that that's that's a hats off to you, and that's and I know that's why you do what you do, and I know that's what what I try and do, what I do, and a lot of the people we work with do it for the same reason, because mm-hmm. hey, it's it's people learn in different ways, and if it's a podcast that teaches someone, if it's a classroom lesson if it's you know having a chat to someone down the track well that's what works for people and as long as they pick something up then it's the best part moving forward agree mate that that young fella um you know was just lost uh, as a young guy and um uh pretty pretty similar upbringing to you um i sort of helped him uh after he had a an act of violence and he was worried about what was going to happen to him and um you know he come to me week on week and invested in himself to try and you know improve his self-awareness and through that, um, you know, obviously he did get locked up and, uh, and that sort of helped him, mate. But just getting back to where we were before, um, how was it for you when you went in there? Like, obviously, did you feel some shame and so forth because of, you know, I suppose the, the, the environment you'd worked in and the judgment of others and all those sorts of things which may have been uh, playing on your mind for a period uh, while you were sort of sitting in a, in a cell there? Well, the toughest, the toughest part for me, mate, and it's, and, and it's a common story, unfortunately, but the toughest part was actually the whole before actually getting to jail yeah. because the, uh, and again, it's not all, but the, the, the really negative role that media plays in a lot of this space yeah. is that, you know, that, that, that my, I was, I was um, effectively the, 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 the tap on the door came almost four years to the day before I was actually put into incarceration. 
Mm. And and as soon as that knock on the door happened, is then okay. You got to leave your job because they're looking at you. So okay, you walk away. You can get. I got another position with, with in, in the sport and rec industry with people I knew. But from that minute on, mate, every time my phone would ring, and it was a private number, I would have the largest anxiety attacks. I would was beating myself up because I was like, okay, I wonder if they know. I wonder if that person knows. I wonder if that person is aware. Mm. And I had to not lie because I didn't lie, but I didn't necessarily go out and say, hey, this is exactly what had happened and what was going on. But that four years, we then effectively moved to Western Australia and, and the games that the legal system played, you know, we, we I, this is, my, my charge was for just over $38,000, mm. which is what we paid back. They froze our assets. Mm. They froze you know, our house. And my charges were put up on a Facebook page um, and put out in the media two days before Christmas. Oh, really? Four years after. But because, and the, 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 the officer said it, is, or the, the guy that said it, the investigator, because he was going on holidays and he wanted to F up mine. Yeah, right. There you go. Mate, and yeah. so, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying, yeah, so dealing with that, like dealing with the whole idea of if I was a person that, that didn't feel great about myself in the first place um, and, and used to put on the big front, you know, using the words of, of Robin Williams, it's the people that make others laugh are usually the most damaged or in pain themselves. Yes. And, you know, I was always the six foot five funny guy that would walk in and, you know, would give everyone a hug and make everyone joke and laugh and, you know, make everyone feel good because I knew that underneath I felt like absolute shit. Yeah. And, you know, and, and just going through that whole process beforehand, I know it sounds really bad, but actually getting to jail and going through that first initial process, I, I did okay because I knew that I was able to manage and deal with myself all right mm. um, and, and find my own water. It was more the worry about my kids um, my wife, my family, and everyone else, and 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 it was tough, man. It was tough. Mm, no, no doubt. And there's a real gift and a secret in that with regards to letting go and surrendering. And when when you're able to just do that, and you're not sort of you know consistently in the judgments and opinions of the mind and and that entrapment, that that's really cancerous in itself. You know, to be able to sort of you know release that and just whatever will be will be. You know, you've done something wrong. Yes. The other, other lesson is to, to see that guy's comments with compassion because if we find that with anger, that's only like fueling the fire in our minds. And I feel really sorry for people like that that have got to downgrade others and, um, you know, and make them sort of, uh, you know, um, belittled because it's just grandstanding for themselves. And you've really got to question how hollow they are inside as well, Lucas. Especially when it comes to, especially when it comes to dealing with people with criminal convictions, and and I'm pretty passionate, pretty passionate on this, obviously from my own you know living experience and lived experience, is that I, it just it just blows me away is that how the general public and how not all not all because that's that's really rude of me to say, but how a large part of the general public treat people that are previously incarcerated. Mm. I think I think a couple of things get forgotten, mate. If forgotten, mate, is we, we, our country was actually born on people that were convicts. Yeah, yeah. So there's the first part. So we were actually, we actually started in that space. The second part of it is, is that um, people make mistakes. I don't know a single person. I don't know a single person who hasn't broken the law. And what I mean by that is, as I sit here recording this show, I am seeing a lady who has just driven past me on her mobile phone that would be in her 70s. Mm-hmm. 
that's uh, a that's a law break. I know it's true. not a serious, you know, super super serious at this point in time. But how can we judge people's mistakes unless you are sincerely perfect and have never made an error? You can't cast people aside. Is I I was working as a I've been a professional basketball coach or a semi professional basketball coach for a long period of time and spending a year in jail doesn't make me any less of a professional basketball coach or a basketball coach mm. but what it does is it gives people the excuse to cast you aside because they're worried about what might happen or what they think they've seen on television or in the media that might happen and that's really disturbing yes it is you're right mate and uh yeah well, well there's there's another another gift in that uh with regards to the uh, the fairy tales that we're being told a lot that people believe, you know, and uh, it, can, it. it can certainly be, um, you know, a long way from the truth, you know, and uh, geez, mate, um, yeah, look, you know, I was no angel when I was a young fellow. I could have ended up in there. I've had compassion for people who've been incarcerated, you know, for, for my whole life, basically, and, you know, I sort of explored the prison um uh, option as a young fella to work and to try and do uh, things what I could to, to help others, you know, help help them out and, you know, observing some pretty amazing people that have just fucked up and, um, you know, and, and seeing them labelled, you know, coming from Horsham primarily uh, because, you know, the, the paper would be all over it, the shame with, it. Uh, with, a, with a crime would be uh, hard to shake and that leads to mental health issues and, you know, suicide uh, eventually. Uh, Unfortunately, but uh, you know, I, th- I think it's still there, mate. But I think the conversations like this that we're having today are going to help break that stereotype and stigma as we move forward. Well, it's definitely there, mate. Because I mean, I know myself, mate. Is when, when this whole thing was going on, is is and, and I'm not ashamed to say this now, but I was at the time. But mate, I picked out the tree. I knew which tree I was going to hit, mm. and and when I was driving, because I knew that you know that that yes, I had screwed up. Yes, I had done something that wasn't right. But I work with guys now on, on putting context to what they did. And not an excuse, not an excuse in any stretch of the imagination. But you know, there, there's, I, I work as a uni lecturer as well, and there's, some thing, there's a, a theory called strain theory that explains you know, and provides a little bit more context to criminal activity. And it talks about you know, people that what they might need in their life, what strains they might have. So they might have um, you know, levels of unemployment. They might have levels of mental health issues. They might have kids. They might have... You know, they might be from a, a certain demographic background, you know, or a, de- a certain ethnogra- ethnographic space. And I know myself at the time, and by no stretches and excuses, that we went from, you know, a couple of incomes to one income and we were living out of our means and we just had our first child. Mm. And I was like, shit, I, I need to find something here that I need. How do I do this? I'm working 80 hours a week. I physically can't work anymore, but we are falling into a hole. Yeah. And the opportunity come for me to receive a, receive a thank you for a piece of work that I'd done. And I was like, oh yeah, I took it. And I was like, wow, that's gonna help. Mm. That's gonna help. I, I didn't go into there, learn, I didn't go in there with this learnt experience and this learnt information. So I picked that information up when I was there. Yes. And, you know, did it. And, and yeah, I'm embarrassed and ashamed by it and still am to this day. But, you know, is that there's a context to why people do what they do. I don't, I don't know too many people that just walk down the street and go, bang, you know, I'm going to break into something here. Or I'm going to walk down the street and punch someone in the face. Yes. There is a context to it. And as we need to spend time as, an, as a society, as people understanding that there is contextual information to why people do what they do. Mm, 
absolutely, mate. Uh, yeah, well, we're, we're, we're very quick to, um, to, to assume, aren't we? You know, that's the way I was sort of brought up too, you know, uh, to be able to just quickly quickly judge and, uh, and criticise and, and all those sorts of things. But, mate, you know, you, you, you've got the typical Aussie male story there. You, you, you go into what you believe is going to make you be successful, but then you find that you're in this whirlwind of, uh, of, of, of extra work and you're looking outside yourself for happiness, for money, and really money doesn't do it. But um, at, at the same time, you know, you, you, you are, you're unconscious because you're so, um, I suppose, conditioned down this sort of rabbit hole where you, you know, you just think that uh, that momentary lapse of reason is going to give you, you know, long-term happiness, but it doesn't. And that's when, you know, crime can happen, whether that be through the physical or through the, um, you know, through through the, the the monetary side or whatever it may be, you know, um, and there's always a backstory to this sort of stuff. It's so true, brother. It's it's so true what you're saying, and you know that that it, it took that almost reset. I mean, I, I'm I'm sitting in my car now. That the prior to went before my offending is my car was you know a, a eighty thousand dollar car. I'm sitting in a car now mate, that I'd give you that you could give me two hundred bucks for and it'd be fine and I'm happy. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, because it yeah. gets me it gets me from A to B. But the thing that I think the thing now sitting back and looking back and I know that a lot of your listeners will experience this or at least have, have heard it or felt it or understand it is I felt like I was an imposter mm. um, and felt like that I didn't belong and I found I really struggled to find where I belonged both prior to and then post-incarceration because I didn't fit and I still, even to this day, mate, and, and there's a theory on this, it's called imposter syndrome. And you know, I've, I've, spoken to, I've spoken to some people and gained some help about it because I just felt like I didn't fit and I didn't belong and that everything I had achieved, I'd achieved fraudulently. And that was because I was told that the narrative of that fraudulent activity was told to me on the back pages of newspapers, mm. you know, on the local television, you know, on, you know, uh, for a $38,000 white-collar offence, your entire street being shut down and closed off and having, you know, people storm your house with search warrants. Just stuff that just blows your mind that shouldn't happen. Yes, yeah. Agree, mate. That, that, that's true. It's, it's really overreactive, isn't it? And, uh, and what sort of happens with... With someone that could, you know, you know, Lucas. Look, at, at the end of the day, if we can help an individual feel safe and calm, if if they had have walked into your place and said, Lucas, we know you've done something wrong. We're going to have to deal with this in a civil matter. Are you okay with that, mate? Yep, no worries. And then you move forward. But when with that, with that, like empower, like that, um, that that force primarily, you're going to force back at that, and that's going to put you into your flight and fight. You know, sympathetic nervous system primarily, which is going to take a lot of work to get out of. But I just think the way we can do, uh, you know, law enforcement in the future can be a lot better than what it actually is. You, you look at cops when we were kids, mate, they wore ties and they wore this hat with a flat brim on it. Now they're dressed up like they're going to bloody war every day, you know. It's, uh, it's just totally... Um, totally different than, than the civil manner that I believe we should be operating in with regards to, you know, um, uh, I wouldn't say punishment, but, uh, but actually, um, you know, helping correct people. If we can correct people with the right mindset in the right manner, then the outcome is going to be a lot better. But I believe the punishment model that we're in is, is pretty much redundant, mate. You've got to look at the way the jails are operating and the way they are, um, you know, they're, they're set up. It's still medieval in many ways i think there's so much more that can be done to help the individual 
come out a better person than what they were when they arrived. No doubt, and and no doubt, and I think you know to I think what we don't do well is we don't embrace in in the incarceration space we don't embrace previously incarcerated people with lived experience, and I think there is such a role for them to play. I mean, if you look, mate, at, at the two most successful um, you know education or, or, or you know, intervention programs in the world, it's Alcoholics Anonymous mm. and Narcotics Anonymous, mm. and they're based on two things. They're based on the lived experience of the person that is the trainer and a mix with education. Mm. And there's, mate, there's no one, I mean, I, I can tell you about being a 40-year-old guy that would spend time in jail, but I can't tell you about, um, I can't tell you about being a drug user because I've never been. I can't tell you about being an Indigenous man. I can't tell you about being, you know, a trans woman or a, you know, or, or, a, or a single parent because mm. I've never lived those lives. Yeah. But... We have other services that will pair people up. I mean, I'm sitting out the front now of a, a youth engagement hub that has mentors that were disengaged young people themselves. Yeah. There is, you know, that recently there is two large multinational organisations in Australia that are professing to provide services for lived people with lived experience, and the managers that were employed for both of those positions neither of them have lived experience yes yeah yeah so so how does that work i mean if that, if you sit down with that person and say oh yeah this is what oh yeah well this is what you should be feeling no that's what the book says yes <laughs> have a chat to someone have a chat to someone that has done it educate them and help them understand that there is a way that they can assist someone else and mate there's enough there's enough people that have been incarcerated around the place that can help someone else because they know that they don't want anyone else to go through that space. Yeah. But we've got to embrace the experience a bit more. But, but the individual feels so much more calm when they're around someone else that's walked the path. Would you agree? Mate, I, I still to this day right now, um, I still to this day right now met and, and befriended while I was incarcerated um, probably two of my closest friends. And I know that sounds crazy because... They saw me at my worst. I saw them at their worst. Mm. You know, we didn't have, you know, that they, they know. There's an old saying that a lot of guys say is that you know if you know. And, you know, like we, we were watching, um, myself and my wife the other night were watching a show, Orange is the New Black. I'm sure you and your listeners have heard it. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I just got up and walked out of the room and go and broke, go and broke down in tears. Mm. Something in that show triggered me. And I was talking to a friend about it. And he's like, man, he goes, I didn't see that show. He goes, but me and my partner were watching um, Law and Order and there was something in there. There was a sound that was a door being slammed, a metal door being slammed. Mm. Um, and it triggered him. Mm. And the first person he rang was me because he knew that I would know what that noise was and he knew that he couldn't speak to his partner about it because she wouldn't have got it. Yeah, yeah, amazing, mate. That, that's true. That's... that's, that's uh Mate, that, that, that is something in itself. Like, I'm just going to talk about my own journey here, but I couldn't talk to my wife because she wouldn't get it with regards to what I'd been through. And then I wouldn't go and feel comfortable to talk to a counsellor or a psychologist or someone because they hadn't actually walked the path, you know. So it's very, very similar, you know. So 
really a, a man that's been separated would be a great guy that's going through marital problems. Um, you know, a guy that's coming out from incarceration would be uh, would be certainly so much more uh, proactive to be getting guided by someone that's walked the path and actually like made a success of their life when they do get out. You know, we we don't put enough resources into reintegration and to be able to do that well. You know, it's. Um, uh, a few a few services out there that are trying to sort of help people find a house when there's no housing, but uh, there's also you know so much more to that to make the person successful and help them you know thrive when they uh, come outside or when they when they get out rather than just be left on their own. And that, I see it time and time again. Like you know, guys with a few hundred dollars, they go to Centrelink. They've got to wait 13 weeks before they can speak to a job network, so they're on their own for that period of time. Three months, uh, you know, and the, the chances of them reoffending at that time are, are significant. You know, I was in Rockhampton Prison the other day, and there was a young guy that had done three tours of Afghanistan. He gets out on the 15th of uh, December, so in a few days, and he's shitting himself because he's got no one to go to over Christmas, and he can't really get any support until the end of January. So his chances of reoffending are, you know, significant as well. But is there any support for him as an individual? No, there's not, you know, and this is where we've got to start to get smarter about this sort of stuff. Completely agree, and, and I mean, I, I work in a, I work casually as uh, in the university sector as well, and you know, and this isn't this is a criticism of no specific schools, but even in the university space, mate, is that we do a lot of research on 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 you know prisoners or on people that have been in, inside, but we don't have the people doing the research that have been incarcerated. Mm. There's a handful, below a handful. Of, of previously incarcerated academics that work in Australia, and there is zero, zero that are full time mm. in criminology. In criminology, you know, there are schools. There is a university here in where I am in Western Australia that told me straight out to my face is that there is no place for people with a criminal record inside criminology. Mm. Mm. Now, if man, if there isn't, if there isn't a space for someone. You know, you, this came about, there was a study that was done over here a while ago, and again, a lot of your listeners will get this, is there was a study done, a great study, but two people did a study on the social and emotional impact of, of strip searching. Mm. And there was a question that was put up by a person in the crowd, and no one had met each other. You know, there was this was a pretty random open crowd at a, at a, a large sort of criminology convention. And the person said to them, oh, you know, at the end of the question, hey, just a question, have you been strip searched before? They said this to the presenter. And the presenter said, no, no, I haven't. And then he's like, can I just do a little experiment? And she's like, yeah, of course. So he says amongst the auditorium, put your hand up if you've been strip searched. And there was eight people put their hands up and none of us had met each other before. Mm. And he's like, he's like, ex-con, 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 ex-con. Why aren't one of these guys up on the stage doing your presentation with you? Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. And what was, what was the response uh, to that? Well, she was like, no, I agree. She goes, oh, I completely understand. She goes, no, I, I appreciate that. I take that information on board. But, like, it's just a case now, like, there's a matter of, it's a slow wheel turning, mate, in, in regards to the acceptance and, and celebration of lived experience. Mm. But it is too few and far between. And um, there are positions that I know, guys, that you, you, you have on your show and that you talk to and that listen to this. There's guys that apply for positions of jobs that they would get with their eyes closed if they didn't have a black mark against them. Mm. And it's about embracing the extra things that bring it. And my, my a mate of mine gave me a job when I first came home and he was funny and, and he was honest. He said to me, he goes, you know what, Lucas, I'm going to get you for 70 grand when I should be paying you 150. Yeah. 
he goes, I'm gonna, he goes, you're going to bring to me, he goes, you're bringing to me someone that managed large businesses and just screwed up and I'm going to get you running my shitty little business for 70K and you're going to bring professionalism at a big space and I know what you've done. Mm. Mm. And the second that comes out, you feel comfortable because you know that he knows, you know there's no surprises that are going to bite you on the ass, mm. but it's just a challenge. People have got to embrace the experience a bit more, mate, and that's a whole industry. Well, it's, it's, it's probably refreshing for you to hear that, um, like, I've had conversations with employers around, I was in Townsville last week and Rocky the week before and, and other areas within Queensland, and it's happening in WA now, is organisations realise that, uh, that they're not going to be able to, you know, keep fishing from the pond when it's empty. They're going to have to look at uh, other ways of uh, bringing people into the organisation and be able to transition, you know, people from incarceration, people from... Uh, you know the the armed forces, people from uh, frontline work, all that type stuff into a, into a new environment where they may not have considered them before. You know, and um, we've got to op- start opening our eyes now because uh, uh, realistically, there's some great people, and just like yourself, you know, take a pay cut to be able to prove themselves, but not so much prove themselves, just get a chance and an opportunity. And if you can give someone a chance and an opportunity, they're not going to leave for an extra two bucks an hour. You know. They're going to hang around in the business and, and want to do well and, and succeed. And they work for that person because the person has given them a chance. That's right. The person has gone, you know what, I'm going to be more loyal to this guy because you know how hard it is Yes. to, to leave and move on to a position. I mean, mate, I'm in a position now that, that, that I was given because I had a record. Yeah. And, and But management changes and new management's come in and they have attempted to potentially ride the people out of this position who have been incarcerated because mm. they don't believe they're, they should be involved in the industry that we're in. Mm. And it unfortunately happens. But one of the major challenges, mate, which is still to be faced, is it's great that it's great that a lot of employers are facing these spaces. But the thing that is not necessarily alterating, altering with them is twofold. The mm. first is policy and procedure. Yes. A lot of businesses and a lot of larger businesses, their HR policies don't allow for previously incarcerated people to be employed regardless of how moving forward or how straightforward the manager might actually be. Um, I, I um, was approached by a university, um, an East Coast university, to present as a, as a sessional lecture and a session, sessional tutor on criminal justice and um, its involvement um, on people. And no problems, it was done. They approached me because I had a record and I'd experienced it. The actual HR department, when it came time to the recruitment process, has got a box on it. Do you have a criminal record? Mm. Yes. I'm sorry, sir, your um, employment is unable to go ahead because you have a criminal record. It's like, hang on, you guys approached me. You approached me to come and do this because I had a record, because I went inside. Yeah, how does that work? Oh, we're going to have to, we have to change our policies and come back to you. Okay, off you go. No problems. Um, You know, that's the first part. And the second part, is, and I, and I allude, I revisit something I mentioned beforehand, is the role of the media. Mm. Is the media don't necessarily in all aspects tell the truth. Mm. And, you know, if you've got stories that are planted still to this day, after things that have happened 10, 5, 10 years ago, it doesn't matter if there's no, um, you know, criminal record checks or that stuff. Is most HR departments do a Google, do, do a Google search. And if you pop up as a media person, mate, I, I've got a year and I can have my record expunged, you know, through the, the through a spent conviction. 
I'm not going to waste my time because you put my name into a Google search. Yes. Up comes up comes five stories from the city of Ballarat about how I stole, you know, a quarter a quarter to a half a million dollars. Well, that nah, was thirty eight thousand dollars. Yeah. Real funny. big different story between a half a mil and thirty eight k. But isn't it amazing Sorry. how we we still like uh, attached to that. Uh, to that perception of, of what we believe is true because it's come through a media channel. You know, we don't actually know Absolutely. the truth or explore the truth. Absolutely. And and that's majorly disturbing. And one of the things I do with a lot of guys I work with, Aaron, is, is I get them, the first time we talk about them is I get them to attempt to embrace and read everything that was written about them, yep. to find everything that was written about them, to ask partners, to ask family members, to ask friends, their feelings and their thoughts. Because they get told, you know, I think you're an asshole because you did what you did. Or, or the media said you're this, that and the other. And that is tough. And they need some assistance when they do that because they need someone else to be able to basically hold their hand. But this is, to me, it's all about people owning their own narrative. Yep. And then once they own that story, they can look at it, laugh at it. They can feel hurt about it. They can feel, you know, tragically upset about it. But as long as they've got someone that potentially they can work through with it, then they put context to it. So it's like, well, you know what, you know what, I didn't steal two hundred thousand dollars. It was thirty-eight thousand, and the thirty-eight thousand was because of a reason A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And then what that allows you to do as a person is to then start changing your own story. So I was initially getting knocked back for a lot of jobs because I'd go to an employer and they'd be like, "Oh, you've got a record." Mm-hmm. After they do a research, made I, I twenty times I'd been offered jobs through applications. And you'd get to the final thing, they'd shake your hand and then the HR department would go off and do a Google search and be like, oh, no, sorry, um, you're done today. So I had to change my narrative. I had to change my story to the point now of going to people and saying, you know, hey, I, I, I was incarcerated. This is what I did, but this is what I learned while I was doing it. Mm. Mm. And it took, it, took some, it took some real hard pills. And still to this day, mate, it still takes massively hard pills. Mm. But... I know the people that you deal with with your show and the people that you work with and they have the internal strength to do this stuff. They have the internal strength to do this stuff and there's a hell of a lot of people that aren't too far away that can hold their hand or give them a hand. And, and you've got my number and details, Aaron, and I want you to legitimately put up my email onto this, onto whatever you mm. put this out on and tell people that have been incarcerated, send me an email, I'll hold your hand. Mm. Send me an email, I will, mate, don't care when it is, 24-7, I'll do what I can to help you and share you through the journey. Mm, unbelievable, mate. It's so heart uh, warming and, and, and you know, brave of you to be able to do that because it's what is, is needed. And, you know, I was going to ask the question, in an ideal world, where would where will things be in 10 years' time? A lot of people get grumpy at me in my field when I say this, but there is there is a role still for incarceration. Mm. I just It's not right, though, at the present point in time. For me, it would be more of a treatment situation where people who need some assistance get the assistance they need. They're not locked in a box because it's punishment. They're taken away because they just need to be realigned or they just need to get some, they need to be taken away from some of the context that made them do what they do. Yes. You know, they get, they get put into a place where, you know, there is mental health professionals that can help. There is, you know, drug and alcohol people. There are mentors who have served time. There are, reintegration specialists there are education opportunities you know these are the things that should be part of the incarceration experience rather than it just be lock you up throw the key away and disappear so um yeah so that that's that's my big thinking i think obviously as the 
as this, um, you know, the, the, the negativity about mental health continues, um, we're always going to keep fighting this. Mm. But when people, when, when people understand that their mental health isn't quite where it needs to be, that they can get the assistance they need inside because at the moment it doesn't help. Does It's not there. Agree, mate. You know, one of the, well, one of the, a couple of things that I've done as an individual, when I was in Tassie, I, I met the Deputy Governor of Brisbane Prison and I said, I want to come to you and I want to do a project to help 12 people leave prison better than what they were when they arrived, you know? So I was going yeah. over there every week and looking at, um, you know, these guys walking around maximum security in a, in a, in a bloody cage and, um, you know, having a yak to guys. And then we started to, to pull a group together uh, and then start to you know, look at diet, look at exercise, look at mindfulness, look at all these tools that they could actually learn and embrace while they were there so that when they were released, uh, released they were a bit more conscious. But the justice minister or someone found out about it and hit it on the head, you know. So yeah. <laughs> that made me feel flat. But another, you know, light bulb for me was I actually was able to go into maximum security in Victoria and teach yoga. Uh, you know, teach guys to slow down and come back to their, their heart again. And, you know, I just saw people change before my eyes, you know, and, and that's that sort of stuff that we can start to do. Whether someone's done bad shit or not, we've all got a heart in the centre of our chest. Uh, you know, a blow to the heart is more powerful than the blow to the body, you know, primarily. So a lot of these fellas have had significant blows to the heart consistently since they were little boys. You know, to be, able, to be able to give them compassion and love and support again and show them healing tools so when they come out, they're, they're actually better people. Would you agree that's a better way rather than just sort of keeping people in fear and then sending them on their way again? Oh, no doubt, mate. And, it, but it, and I, I completely agree with you. But it goes back to the whole, you know, idea of what's called classicism, classicism versus positivism. And classicism is the whole idea of, you know, someone does something wrong you get a smack, you go away and serve your punishment mm. and then come back out again. But the problem is now, mate, is compared to positivism that looks at the story as a whole, looks at the person as a whole and looks at the deficiencies, and I hate that word, but looks at the deficiencies that that person has and tries to pair them up with, with assistance to allow them to become better, as you just said. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm big on that, mate. Like, one of the things that blew my mind is that, you know, I, I obviously got my, my mental health demons over the journey, but... You know, I wasn't offered and there was a whole lot of guys where I was that weren't even offered the opportunity to get any form of mental health assistance. Mm -hmm. And those guys that did, you know, I was told one of the first things I was told when I was at the map was don't go and see the psychs because the guys who are going to give you parole will start to, you know, look at it that you're a mental jellyfish and that they can't give you parole because you're not quite right. <laughs> yeah. So guys hide it. Guys hide it. And... One of the biggest bit of advice that I try and give to guys when I speak to them is whether you've got six months, a year, two years, three years, start healing yourself now while you're inside because it gets a shitload harder when you come home because now you've got to worry about healing everyone else as well. Yes, that's right. When you get home. You've got to worry about healing your kids, healing your partner, healing your friends, healing yourself in different spaces. You've got to worry about healing future employers. You've got to worry about healing you know, people at your sports club that you don't that, that, that look at you differently. Mm. You know, you've got to worry about this other stuff where when you've got that time, yes, it's shitty, but try and make sure that you spend some time investing in yourself because you know what, man? If you don't, no one else is going to. Agree. And, and, you know, we're always 
Well, we've been conditioned to look outside consistently, but all the answers are really inside, you know, and we've got to, I believe, yeah, the, the, the incarceration system. And you're right, there is a place for it, unfortunately, but, you know, if we can use that time to help people turn inward and start to uncover their real self, then, then they're going to, you know, get out better. And it'll get back to the conversation that we had at the start of this um, podcast, Lucas, about when we arrived here in Australia, um, you know, Guys, uh, as convicts, were sent out and they were given land and they were able to contribute. You know, so to getting That's getting it. back to that again, I think is uh, is is real because we've already we've already done it once before. We've just sort of gone away from that, what actually works. And there's so much difference too. And, and and I know you won't mind me plugging this, but we've got a we've got a podcast that we do called Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia, mm-hmm. and all we deal with is just to do with incarceration. So we will get criminology experts. We will get people that have served time inside will get people to come forward and discuss challenges that they see. And this season four that we're smack bang in the middle of now, we've uncovered people who have bring difference to the table that the current justice system doesn't deal with. We had a, we had a, a gentleman who identifies as, as, as queer. You know, he had to, he told us about his journey as a, as a homosexual man inside. Mm. We had another person that talked about um, who was a transgender lady. And, and she told us her challenges about being inside. We've got a couple of Indigenous guys. In our last one, we had you know, Keenan Mundine come on and tell us about the incarceration of Indigenous people. And the problem is, mate, is the system is a, the system is a Western white system that doesn't allow for change in regards to identifying difference. And that is identifying difference both physically, but also mentally and emotionally. And the second that happens, things can move forward, mate. And hopefully... Programs like yours and what we're doing together can make changes inch by inch, mate. But thank you for what you do, my friend. I really appreciate you and what you do. So how can people get hold of you if they want to reach out just while we're having the chat? And I'll put it up in the in the comments later anyway as well. Beautiful, mate. We've got, I've got, a, I've got a website, lucascary.com.au. It's L-U-K-A-S-C-A-R-E-Y. Yeah. Um, please feel free to add me onto to LinkedIn or onto, you know, whatever it is in there or Twitter. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the website's the best and you can drop me a line on there and then I'll actually reply to you via you personally to the email um, and then, yeah, give you my number and stuff and we can stay in touch. But anyone that is feeling challenged, anyone that has come home, anyone that might be listening to this inside, reach out and find your people. Find your people. They don't have to be your people forever. They might be your people till you get over the first hurdle and then until you find your next people or your next people and they're the ones that you need that first initial help for and my hand up as i know yours is mate to be one of those people yeah well said mate really appreciate it you know we've only just started this uh this journey mate and there's so much more good stuff to come so keep doing what you're doing and uh you know uh you're going to leave this uh this planet uh in a much better place than what you were if you were still a school teacher put it that way so you're a gentleman mate i appreciate you and appreciate your show Guys, thanks so much for listening in. Uh, really inspirational, heart-centered man is Lucas. So I really encourage you to reach out, as he said. Um, yeah, be more than happy to, to help you or someone that you know um, uh, with regards to uh, moving on with whatever it may be that uh, you're stuck with. And, you know, a lot of people from incarceration, as he said, are sort of in that sort of uh, box of, uh, of shame primarily of, uh, of stuff but if we can actually use that as a tool to, to move forward and uh, a platform to, to live a better life then you know everyone benefits from that at the end of the day 
If you'd like to reach out to me, please email support.backmind.com.au. Some more awesome pod- pod- uh, podcasts coming up soon. So please uh, share the podcast and, uh, and keep listening in. Appreciate your support. Cheers.